that we would understand what it is to come before you, Jesus, to come into your house, to come into your presence, to understand who it is we're worshiping, who it is we're singing to. Lord, forgive us for so often coming in so complacently and so flippantly and sing the songs that don't mean a word we sing. Oh, God, we say it all. We hear the words. But, Father, it's a slap in your face sometimes. So, Father, as we speak this morning about the fear of the Lord, I pray that you give us a reverence. You give us an awe of what that is today so we really understand what it means to fear you and to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we spoke about the fear of the Lord, and we talked through that discussion a number of aspects of fear. We talked about the definition of fear, and we read it. We talked about the common types of fear, the sources of fear, and the results of fear. Basically, we talked about the scary kinds of fear. The fear of evil, the fear of disasters, the fear of pain, the fear of sickness, the fear of death, the fear of our own reputation, the fear of man. And our supposition last week was that we have lost the fear of God in our lives and we've replaced it with the fear of man. And that that fear of man encompasses many facets that bring in our life habitual sin, a life of continual defeat, a lack of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, a a feeling or or a, a life of narcissism that the rules are for somebody else. God will look at me differently because I am who I am, and we just don't recognize the power and the authority of God Almighty because of so many things that we have justified in our own actions. We will justify in ourselves so many things that make us feel good that make us live the life that we think we can live. And if we are planning on hearing Jesus say to us, well done, thou good and faithful, we had better change our ways. Amen. Today I want to talk a little bit more about this definition of the fear of God. But I want to talk about it today in our misunderstandings of the fear of God and not to be a scary fear of God but to be a reverential awe of this inspiring God of the universe who creates all and who we are submission to. And I want to, I want to talk about it from the perspective of understanding that this God that we're talking about has all power, all authority, all control, and he will be the ultimate judge of our life in a perfect court. See, the fear of God transcends all time and all understanding. God's word will last through all eternity. It's not a temporary fear of God that we're supposed to have in our lives for a season. We're not supposed to fear God while we're young and then grow out of that fear when we understand who God is. It's not an issue of, okay, I I understand Christianity now, I understand church, therefore I don't have to have a fear of God anymore because I know what to do. I know the lingo. I know the words. I know how to act. I know how to talk. That doesn't give me the ability to move away from the fear of God. In all honesty, that means I should, when I really understand what that means, I should have a more reverential fear of God if I really understood it. The problem is we play games. We play games with ourselves all the time. And when we play games, we make up our own rules. Um, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen to you, but I know what's going to happen to me when I do that. 
I'm going to lose. Maybe you've got another set of games that you play with, another set of rules that you're not going to lose with, but I know that I'm going to lose. So therefore, I'm talking about me. I am, I am expressing out of this series of messages the fear of God that I'm starting to feel in my life, and I hope you feel it in yours. And now I'm just going to try to relieve, or I'm going to try to um, take what God's moving in me and hopefully out into you so that we then as a church and as a body, as a body of believers and as families here represented, we can understand that the fear of God is something that we need to have in our hearts and our lives. And if we understood the significance and the foundation of what that means and that it will be forevermore, that we will firmly plant it in our lives and we will guard that with everything in our life because if we lose the fear of God you've lost it all I've lost it all if I walk in my own fear my own understanding then I have lost it all so the premise that I want to start today with is that as I have a proper understanding and an acceptance of the fear of God that I will live my life out of love admiration and a desire to please him because he is worthy of all of me and nothing less. As I have a proper understanding and acceptance of the fear of God, that I will live my life out of love, admiration, and desire to please God because he is worthy. I will not compromise. I will not make up my own rules. I will not question his love for me. And I will commit myself to love him with all my mind, body, and spirit. That's what I want. That's what I want to get out of these series of messages. Now, first, I want to talk about the power of God. How do we fear God? We fear God because of the power of God. God is all-powerful. Yet I really wonder sometimes if I understand what that means. See, we use the word power so often in our world that I think we lose the real meaning and the respect of what real power is. Our human nature wants to be powerful. It's a natural desire to be the one in charge through having the most power over our situation and others. We gain power in various forms and ways. Knowledge is power. He who controls the money has power. Physical strength is power. A good talker is powerful. On the golf course, it's whoever is keeping score is a powerful one because he can modify the score. Nobody knows it. <laughs> so it's the guy that holds the pencil has the power. We all want to be in control. We want to have the power. Power is a tool that humans use all the time to manipulate other people, to get them to do what they want them to do. And unless we're very careful to keep God at the center point of our lives, the power we gain here can be easily misused to bring hurt and pain and frustration and further misunderstandings. When we do gain power over another person, we often abuse it. We often take them for granted and we often will uh, take advantage because of our power position. We will often lose the power that we had or thought we had because we, we use it improperly. And we use it to bring harm to ourselves and others as we don't really understand how to use that power. Here's the thing you have power of right now. You have power over your choice. 
We all have power over our choices. You make the wrong choice, it's your choice to make. You make the right choice, it's your choice to make. You have power over your choices. Don't ever forget the significance of that and the consequences that come with that, good and bad. So it's better for us to recognize that God is the ultimate power and that we as people need to understand the level and the intensity of God's power and what it means to and for us. A good example in the Old Testament is Job. Job's experience of losing everything totally unexpectedly. See, Job was a good man. He had no reason to have the problems that he had. He didn't deserve the problems that he had. Satan went to God and challenged the reason that Job was living such a good life was because everything was easy for Job. Everything was in order for Job. And so Satan went to him and he said, you know, God, if you took away some of the stuff from Job, Job would fail and he would fall and he would curse you and he would leave your precepts. And God said, you know, I don't think so. This man Job's a pretty good guy and I trust him. Does God, can God say that about you? Can he say that about me? If Satan went to heaven... And if he went to God's throne and he said, hey, that guy Mike down there, he's a good guy. That's only because he's healthy or because he's got money. He's got resources. Everything's good for Mike. Everything's good for put your name in there. Could God say, you know what? No, that's not true. I know that guy. I know him. I know him. God's power is what Job knew. Turn with me to Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, and let's talk about Job's perspective of God's power. Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes by me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? That is our perception. That should be our perception of the power of God. That was how Job perceived God, the power, the awesome power of God. Nobody can understand God. Nobody can perceive what he's going to do. Nobody can stand in the presence of the power of God. Nobody. 
But yet we see that God will transfer his power down to us if we submit to him. As we submit to his power, we can become truly powerful, and he will grant us the power to conquer the issues in our lives that plague us. He transfers that power for us to live holy and pleasing lives. That's the power that God has, and he wants to transfer to us. Fearing God in his ultimate power will help us not to forget where our power and strength and blessings come from. And when we gain godly um, understanding and we recognize that God's power comes not through my power, but it comes through my weakness. It comes when I don't know where else to turn when things are just going awry in my life, like it was for Job when when Satan came and took away, Job then understood where his power comes from. Paul understood where his power comes from. 2 Corinthians, verses 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. Paul writes, Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these things, these surpassingly great revelations. I'm getting to the meat of it. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to, to, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God is the ultimate power. But all of these blessings that God has, these attributes we're going to talk about, power, authority, control, God is all, he's going to take all these attributes of him and he is going to transfer them down to us. If we will properly understand the power of God and why he would give it to us, he will transfer it to us so that we can then live a conquering, overcoming life. And then he takes that power from us and he takes it back in heaven. So everything we're talking about here is eternal. It comes from God the Father at creation. It comes down through us in our lives, and then it goes right back up to him in heaven. There's a flow of all this, so just hang with me here. Let's follow some more of it. God has transferred his power to us as believers so that we can use his power to overcome the world, the world in my life, the world in your life. The sin, the destruction, the evil in our lives can be conquered and destroyed as we apply the power of God in our life. But first, you must fear that power. First, you must have a reverence and an awe of really what that power is. If you can't comprehend it, if you can't fear it, then it has no significance for you in your life. Because it has to be transferred down through that awesomeness and through that strength of the power of who God is. And he transfers it down into my life. And now when I have that perfect power, that godly power, he gives us the wisdom through the, through the, uh, through the understanding of the Holy Spirit to work through us. And the, and the power of the Holy Spirit is so much what we need to have in our life on a daily basis. And then we have power. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. 
1 John 5, 2 through 5, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that overcomes, who is that, that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That power of overcoming, that overcoming power is as we love God, we carry out his commands. As we, as we carry out his commands, we realize that they are not burdensome. They are for our own benefit. And then as we do that, the victory of that then overcomes the problems in our life. And it's a big cycle. It's a big circle. 1 John 4.4 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have, and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So as I have Jesus, if I have the power of God in me, he is greater than the world within me. If I apply his power in my life, then his power conquers my world. Not necessarily the world as a globe, because we can't change the globe. But I can change me. And that's who I'm responsible for, is me. And that's who you are responsible for, is you. Your world in your life is what you're responsible for. And as the power of God comes into your life, it will overcome that sin, that destruction in your world. Let's talk about authority. Jesus had all the authority given to him by God as Father in heaven. As the creator, Jesus had authority when he was in heaven. He was there at the creation. Now, Jesus, when he came as a man, he had the authority that God had for him in heaven transferred to him as a man to become our great shepherd and to have the authority transferred down into his life so that he then could be the proper shepherd of the flock. He then could show us as our lives and our life. He could be the great example for how God gave him authority so that we know how to use that same authority as God transfers it to us. John chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then skip down to verses 17 through 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So the authority that Jesus has was God-given. And he had the authority to lay his life down, and he had the authority to pick it back up. I don't know about you, but I don't have the authority to do that, do you? Do you have the authority to lay your life down? I mean, to death? Yes, you do. Yes, you could take your life. Yes. But let me ask you the question that really matters. Do you have the authority to pick it back up? Could you pick it back up? No. So do you really have the authority? See, we think we do. We think we can control our own destiny. We think we can make our own choices and not have to worry about the consequences. But here's the fact. 
I have authority to get myself into trouble. But I don't have the authority to get myself out of it. I can get myself into all kinds of trouble. I can make bad choices all day long. But I never have the authority to clean it up on my own. Jesus was the only man that had the authority to lay his life down and to pick it back up. Do I need to fear that? Do you need to fear that? Can you change your life any one iota? No. We, we make decisions all day long. But measure the consequences. Understand what you're doing. You make a hasty decision. You make a, a decision quick without thinking it through to the end. And I'm not just talking about through the end of this life. I'm just not talking about it through what it's going to do for me on this earth. I'm talking about eternal consequences. I'm talking about the consequences that last beyond the grave. And you know what happens beyond the grave is determined by what you do today. You can't get beyond the grave and change. It's too late. You do it now. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of consequences. This is the day of making the right choices. And when you make the right choices, you will have the good consequences. You will then understand the authority of who Jesus is because Jesus laid down his life and he picked it back up. And that is something that I don't have the authority to do. Now, he transfers this authority down to us. And this is really important that we understand this because so many times we think we are above the law. Scott Hankins, you're really going to appreciate this next few verses because this is all about you. Let everyone, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'm with you, Scott. Romans 13, chapter 1 through 5. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. The, the authority that we have in our land is orchestrated and commissioned and blessed by God. Why do I need to obey the speed limits? Why do I need to, to be a, a, a good citizen? Because God has ordained it that way. God has transferred the authority from heaven to, manly, to, to man systems. And there's a good reason for that. Why do I have to do things in proper order? Because God said so. Because he said so. You want to argue about that? You argue with God. Don't argue with Mr. Hankins, Officer Hankins. He's only doing what he's only God's agent. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And if you have problems, it's because you haven't done what you're supposed to do. And we use that all the time in our life. We always look for somebody else to blame. That's called narcissism. And we all do it to some degree. I do it too. I'm not preaching other than to myself as well, so don't think that. My wife will contest to that. She will agree with that 100%. But Jesus has transferred the authority to us personally, 
as we have our own battles against the enemy of our soul. Chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Does the enemy have power? Yes. Does the enemy have power? Yes, but he has it with a little p. God has power with a capital P because God has established all power, all authority. He's established it, and the enemy is an imitator of God's power. He takes the little bit of God's power that he's allowed to have, and that little bit of that authority he's allowed to have, and he barks a big bite, a big story. But he doesn't have, he doesn't have the power that he wants you to think he has. We have the power, we have the authority, because God has transferred it to us. If we understand it, if we apply it in our life, we have power and authority with capital letters. He has power and authority with small letters. Capital letters trump over small letters every day. And then... He takes that authority that he's given to us, and he takes it right back into heaven. Revelations chapter 2, verses 26 through 27. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with them and with an iron scepter and will dash into pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my Father. So that authority that he has here that he's given to us, he takes it right back into heaven. It's a big cycle. All right, let's talk about control. We've talked about power. We've talked about authority. Let's talk about control. So far, the reasons that we have talked about give us reason to fear God. And in that, that creates a righteous and a healthy lifestyle. But, let's, but having a proper understanding of the fear of God can't be as simple as this. We can take it all down and make it as simple as this. And that is that knowing that God is in control. And we're not. God is in control. I'm not. I don't have to worry that God can't handle it. God has it in control. Our buddy Job talks about it again. Go with me to chapter 37 of Job. Chapter 37, verses 1 through 18. At this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. And when his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone has made he has made, made know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice. And the broad waters, waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? 
You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Then skip down to chapter or, uh, 23 and 24, that same chapter. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people, revere him. Fear him, for does he not have regard for all the wise in the heart? Wow. When we recognize the immense power of God through understanding that he has everything under his control, then that gives me the freedom that I don't need to understand everything about my situation. It gives me the freedom to live my life and not have to worry about understanding God because I can't understand God. I cannot understand his level of control. Therefore, I don't have to. We pray for certain things to happen in our life, and then we expect the prayer to be instantly answered. And sometimes it does. That's the micro, microwave theology. We want it right now at our timing. We pray to God, and we want it now. We want the answer. Sometimes it happens, but most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time, God doesn't answer my prayer immediately. So what happens when that doesn't, when he doesn't do it that way? What happens to me? I tend to panic. I tend to doubt that God heard my prayer. I tend to doubt that God cares about my prayer. I tend to doubt that God can even answer my prayer. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Does that come from the creator of the universe that spoke this universe in the being with, his mighty, with just his words? Does God contradict himself by saying, Mike, I didn't answer your prayer because I can't? Because I, I'm afraid, because I didn't hear you. Say it again, didn't hear you. What did you say? I'm a little hard of hearing right now. I can't hear you. I'm an old man. I'm an old God. I've been around since the beginning of the universe. I, I'm a little, a little hard on hearing. That's not, that's not God. God doesn't not, that's not it. That, that fear, that doubt, all those questions do not come from God. They come from the enemy who has uh, authority and power and control in little letters. In little letters. But yet he speaks that to my mind. I need to understand that. I need to know where those doubts come from. And I need to know that that is not from God. And that when I understand that God has everything under his control, then why should I worry about it? Why should I worry? What good is it going to do for me to worry about what I can't control? Does that add longevity to your life? Does that add happiness to your life? Or does that add stress to your life? It adds a lot of stress to me. Now, I know this is, these are idealistic words. I know it's hard. But what's wrong with hard? Okay, let's talk about God being the ultimate judge in a perfect court. God is the ultimate judge in a perfect court. Finally, as we see the fulfillment of fearing God, we will see that he is the only one qualified, the only one, the only force, the only power qualified to be a judge. Now, we all like to judge. We love to watch people judge people. Look at mighty Joe Brown, or who's the judge, you know, and, and Judge Judy. You know, and they have all these different judge shows now where you can go and you can watch a courtroom. Why is it that we like to see people get punished? Do you think we're really wanting to know if they're getting justice or not? Or do you just think that that's kind of in our, our nature? We like to see people get in trouble. And it is our natural desire that we want to be the judge. We think we need to judge. Well, you know what? 
God is the only ultimate judge. I, it's not in my power, it's not in my authority, it's not in my wheelhouse of, of, of influence to be the judge. So why do I? Why do I? James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, and James is the brother of Jesus. He tells us that we are not to judge. James 4, 11 through 12, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Wow. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, the one that was able to lay his life down and pick it back up. He's the only judge. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? What do you do with that? Does that mean we condone everything around us and saying, well, you all, everybody can just live your life and uh, all roads go to heaven and we're not to judge? No. I think what that means is to me that I'm not, when, I, when I say I'm not to judge, it takes the pressure off me. Yes, 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 yes. We will be judged. We will be judged. But not by me. And not by any mortal man will I be judged. I live my life because I fear God, not because I fear man. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. We will face a judgment. I want to talk to you another, about another scripture in, in the book of Hebrews, but before I do that, let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to talk about absolutes? In church, is it wrong to talk about it? Is it wrong to bring strong words and rebuke when it comes from the Word of God? Then why does it seem that way? Why do we so easily get offended when someone reads the Word of God and when it tells them to stop sinning or live a holy life? Are we such a stubborn and stiff-necked people that we are offended if we are given instruction directly from God's Word? I don't understand that. God is telling us very clearly in His Word what to do and what not to do. Why do I get upset with that? Why do I get upset when somebody tells me what the Word of God says and it's very clearly not to do something? Or why do I get upset when it tells me to do something? You know why? Because my natural man says I'm in control. My natural man says I am the power. My natural man says I am the authority in my life. And what that is, that is fear of man. And we've lost the fear of God. Now when it comes to that ultimate judgment day, know who's, know who's judging you. Not the man. God. You know that God you didn't fear? God that you didn't listen to? That God who you thought was, was too hard? You know what? He's going to be your judge. He's going to be your judge. Not me. No other man. God. Now let me ask you a question. Why then, if God is going to be the judge, why then do we not listen to him when we have a chance to make it right? Does that not make sense? that we would only listen to the judge that's going to be the judge? If, I have a, if I'm going to take a test in school and the teacher says, we're going to have a test on Friday, and by the way, I'm going to give you the answers, 
Wouldn't it be smart to study the answers before the test? Wouldn't it be smart to say, all right, he's going to give me the answers. So if I take the answers, then come Friday, I'm going to get 100% on the test. Listen, people, God is going to test us. But let me tell you something. He's given you the answers. He's already given you the answers. They're in his book. Why don't, then why don't, we, why don't we study the answers? Why don't we go get pre-qualified for the test by reading the answers? He's already given them to us. But yet we'll want to make up our own. We want to make up our own answers to questions of life. And then you think you're going to get to that, that test on Friday, and you think your, your answers are going to be sufficient for that test? When the teacher said, I'm going to give you a test, here are the questions, here are the answers, and I'm not going to accept your answers just because you think they're right. I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm the lawgiver. I'm the one that has the authority to lay it down and pick it up. It's my test. It's my world. And you live in it. Learn my test. I'll give you the answers. So with that said, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. If we deliberately, and that's the key word right there, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him or that has set him apart, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, I understand God is full of grace. He is full of mercy, and thank goodness that he is. I thank God that he is full of grace. Because if he didn't have grace, I wouldn't have a chance. But when I deliberately keep on sinning when I know better, then I've trampled that underfoot, and I'm saying, God, I don't care about your grace. I don't care about it anymore because I'm making up my own rules, and I'm going to live my own life, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to make you accept it. Well, guess what? Guess who's going to accept it? Not God. Because God is the authority. Now, why is it hard? Why is it wrong to preach that way? Why do people get offended with that? God's given you a test on Friday, and he's given you the answers. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31 it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's go back to living a life under the law. Not under the Old Testament law, but doing right. It says, don't fear, you don't have to fear the, you don't have to fear the officials if you do right. So if you're living a godly life, then this judgment day won't scare you like it would if you're not living a godly life. But if you're on the bubble, if you're on the bulge, if you're on the edge, if you're living on the fence, I hope it scares you a lot. 
I hope it does, because something needs to shake your life. Something needs to shake you up and say, you know what, it's not my rules. It's not my rules. It's God's rules. As we conclude then, get ready for worship, where I think now I hope that we can really worship, because we'll have understanding of the fear of God in our life. Let's go back to the original premise for today. That as I have a proper understanding and acceptance of the fear of God, I will live my life out of love, admiration, and a desire to please him because he is worthy of all of me and nothing less. I will not compromise. I will not make up my own rules. I will not question his love for me. And I will commit myself to love him with all my mind, body, and spirit. Now let me ask you a question. Do you have that proper understanding? Do you have that proper acceptance of the fear of God? It's healthy. It's a healthy fear. It's a healthy fear. The book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 through 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, to everybody, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Do you have that fear? Stand with us. Let's worship him. Let's sing some songs. Let's really understand what it is to worship God now. Let's just not sing the songs. Let's worship him. Let's understand what the fear of God is in our life.